The conspiracy-sphere thrives on the idea that things are not what they seem to be on the surface. And for some, the very people around us are not what they seem. Why they might not even be human at all. Some of these supposed people you see are actually shape-shifting aliens, possibly from somewhere in Orion, maybe from inside the hollow earth. In their true form, they are humanoid reptiles and they thrive on pain and suffering. These loathsome creatures are either part of an ongoing yet secret struggle for control of our world or have already taken control of the reins and are farming us for their own purposes. You can see proof of this in some video footage where famous people's eyes temporarily look like a lizard's before snapping back to normal. Stupid, Stupid lizards. lizards. Yes, as we enter the fourth year of Conspiracy Clearinghouse, we will finally take a look at the reptilian conspiracy theory, which was actually the inspiration for starting this podcast in the first place, but it was just too big and too weird to tackle back in 2020. You could argue that the previous 81 episodes have been preparing us for this one. And now, we are ready. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Reptiles of the Mind, the Reptilian Conspiracy. That title is taken from a quote by William Blake in The Marriage of Heaven and Hell that goes, quote, The man who never alters his opinions is like standing water and breeds reptiles of the mind. A quote which just seems too apropos not to reference. Thank you for listening to this episode. I remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast and if you like what we do, donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. I don't like like spiders spiders and and snakes. That's a line from the 1974 song Spiders and Snakes by Jim Stafford. While it's tempting to start things right off with David Icke, today's most vocal proponent of the reptilian idea, the concept goes back further than that. As with so many things in the world of woo-woo, the first modern mention of anything like this comes from Madame Blavatsky, founder of Theosophy. In her book The Secret Doctrine, she mentions quote, dragon men who once ruled the lost continent of Lemuria, which according to zoologist Philip Sclater, who first hypothesized its existence back in 1864, sank beneath the Atlantic Ocean, a clear echoing of the myth of Atlantis, and one which Blavatsky and her fellow occultists would use to postulate the origin of the human race. You see, we fled the doomed continent for other lands, leaving behind all or most of our lizard overlords, most of whom perished. 
So this idea was around and plenty of people read it and internalized it. In his 2003 book, A Culture of Conspiracy, Apocalyptic Visions in Contemporary America, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Syracuse University, Michael Barkun, traces the reptile idea to a 1929 short story published in Weird Tales called The Shadow Kingdom by Robert E. Howard, the man who created Conan the Barbarian. This is the only time the serpent men show up in his work, and they are a race of lizard-like humanoids who are near extinction, but rule from the shadows, worshipping a god they call the Great Serpent, as well as the Great Old One, Yig. Fans of H.P. Lovecraft should recognize that name, and rightly so. A lot of Howard's mythologies were adapted by Lovecraft and other writers who contributed to what's now known as the Cthulhu Mythos. In the Howard story, the reptiles fight against the barbarian king Cull from Atlantis, attempting to replace him with one of their own, who has used his innate magical abilities to alter his appearance to be a duplicate of Cull. So you can already see the general shape of the whole reptilian conspiracy right there. Lizard-like beings shaped like men, once mighty but now reduced to manipulating events behind the scenes, living in secret, able to change their appearance through magic and infiltrate human society at all levels. In 1934, mining engineer G. Warren Schufelt, who was something of a scammer and a perpetrator of a number of hoaxes previously, used an invention of his, which he called a, quote, radio x-ray, to discover several tunnels beneath the city of Los Angeles. He must have come across an urban legend floating around the City of Angels that said there was once a Hopi Indian maze there 5,000 years before. Never mind that the indigenous peoples of Southern California were the Tongva and their allies, and that the Hopis were off in northeast Arizona. Facts never get in the way of a good story for some. So, Schufelt went off to Arizona, where he met Little Chief Greenleaf, the Hopi leader at the time. Greenleaf told him that back around 3000 BCE, a race known as the Lizard People had had a very advanced society that was destroyed when a fire came out of the southwest, wiping out everything in its path. This might have been a meteor. But these lizard people had built three advanced cities near the Pacific coast, which might still be there in some form or another. One was under Mount Shasta in Northern California, which is actually about 170 miles from the coast. Their main city was under Los Angeles, and the third one was lost to memory. The one under LA, being the main one, was shaped like a lizard, with Dodger Stadium at its head and the Central Library over its tail. That's an area about two and a half miles long near downtown, City West, Chinatown, Elysium Park, and Fort Moore. The most important room in the city was right under South Broadway, near 2nd Street, near the LA Times building. So this was what his radio x-ray had found. Schufelt returned to L.A. and started poking around. His device took x-ray pictures of 37 underground objects that seemed to be tablets. He became convinced that these were probably made of solid gold and worth millions of dollars. He also thought the buried city itself extended further northeast up to Mount Washington and started digging shafts into the earth, sometimes as deep as 250 feet. He even drew a map. There's a link to it in the episode notes. G. Warren, as he was affectionately known, ran out of money for his project and died in North Hollywood in 1957. He never found anything. As the LA Times notes in an article on this bizarre local history, that's a pity, because the Fort Moore School District, where most of his activity was focused, could certainly use all the money it could get. Interestingly, there really are tunnels and even rooms beneath Los Angeles, about 250 of them, but they were not the ruins of a lost city 
of Lizard People. Serpentine Fire. That's a 1977 song by Earth, Wind, and Fire. In the previously mentioned 2003 book, Michael Barkun also references a pamphlet written in the 1940s by American occultist Maurice Doreal, whose real name was Claude Diggins. Maurice Doreal just sounds so much better. He wrote a poem called The Emerald Tablets that he later claimed was totally true. He had gone, he said, to Giza in 1925 and discovered the 14 Emerald Tablets of Thoth, he said, who was a priest king of Atlantis. Doriel slash Doggins translated these tablets somehow, and this translation was the poem, and he learned much esoteric knowledge as well as information about a subterranean race of creatures with humanoid bodies and serpent heads who could change to look like full humans. In 1930, Diggins Doriel founded the Brotherhood of the White Temple, a metaphysical church in Denver, using his own adapted updates to Blavatsky's Theosophy. In 1931, he met two Atlanteans, apparently some of them survived the cataclysm, who took him into the lava tubes and caves beneath Mount Shasta, where he learned much about the hollow earth and all the different races that lived there. One of those races, he said in his 1940s pamphlet, was that race of shape-shifting lizard people. Come the 1950s, he predicted a nuclear war would occur in 1953, so he moved his church to the Rocky Mountains near Sedalia. Of course, the war didn't happen, so he started including aliens in his ever-expanding mythology and thinking that when the Antichrist came, which was any day now, the reptile people would side with him because they were sort of inherently evil. And then the 1970s came along with books about ancient astronauts, the Loch Ness Monster, the Bermuda Triangle, TV shows like In Search Of, Bud Hopkins and his, quote, recovered memories of alien abductions under hypnosis, then the 80s gave us Whitley Strieber and Communion, the Satanic Panic, the rise of evangelical apocalyptic thinking, and the ground of the zeitgeist was, shall we say, fertile for more on the reptilian trope. In 1983, NBC broadcast V, a miniseries about a race of reptilian aliens who take over the Earth, though they disguise themselves with human-looking shells, and the plucky humans who resist these invaders. This was the brainchild of writer-director Kenneth Johnson of The Incredible Hulk and Bionic Woman fame. It was intended to be a riff on Sinclair Lewis's 1935 dystopian anti-fascist novel It Can't Happen Here, which Johnson had tried to directly adapt the previous year, but NBC executives thought it was too, quote, cerebral. So he turned the American fascists into shape-shifting reptile aliens, and his project got greenlit. In 1988, John Carpenter's film They Live came out, which is a not-very-good movie with a great concept. Like The Matrix would 11 years later, the main idea of the script, that there's a secret ruling elite of hideous aliens who hide their true appearance as well as subliminal exhortations to obey and consume by using advanced tech that can be circumvented using special sunglasses made some people's minds careen off in particular directions, like errant billiard balls. Though some racist pigheads saw the film as a metaphor for Jewish control of the world, Carpenter meant it to be a critique of Reaganomics, and, as he put it in an interview, the film is, quote, about yuppies and unrestrained capitalism. The film would also influence street artists like Shepard Ferry, who came out with his first Andre the Giant Has a Posse stickers the next year while at RISD, which would quickly turn into the Obey Giant campaign. 
Sometime in the early to mid-90s, an urban legend slithered out about the fitting rooms at the Robinson's Galleria in Quezon City in the Philippines, right next to Manila. You see, the owners of this five-level mixed-use shopping center had come across a half-human woman, half-snake creature, and given it a home in the complex's basement, where it was a sort of a good luck charm, bringing prosperity and laying eggs made of gold. However, it needed to feed on young women. So they put trap doors in some of the dressing rooms that, once triggered, sent the hapless shoppers down a shaft into the creature's lair, where it feasted upon them. Customers started insisting employees accompany them into the rooms while they tried on potential purchases, thinking that this would make them safe. And the whole thing became a PR nightmare for Robinson's. Supposedly went the wagging tongues, famous actresses and models Alice Dixon and Rita Avila were among the victims, though both managed to escape and then were paid off handsomely to keep it all quiet. Soon the rumors expanded, saying children were being snatched from daycare rooms in the center as well. Then the rumors morphed, now saying this hybrid monstrosity was not half-woman but half-man and was, in fact, the twin brother of local businesswoman Robina Gokonkwepe, part of the family that owns the mall, and that this was a shameful family secret. But, of course, rather than kill the beast, the family installed it below ground and fed it shoppers and children. Robina later said in an interview that people used to come by and look at her legs to see if they could see any scales. In 2008, she said she thought the whole thing had come about because of the fierce market competition for such mega complexes in the area. You see, Robinson's Galleria opened in 1990, but just a year later, the even bigger SM Mega Mall, which boasts 968 shops, opened just three blocks away. Great for shoppers, but not so great for Robinson's. These ludicrous rumors were started, she thinks, by people at the Mega Mall to drive business away from Robinson's and to their own establishment. Plus, Filipino culture is quite prone to superstition and conspiracy thinking anyway. In 2010, a video popped up on YouTube about the five creepiest places in Metro Manila that included, along with tales of a haunted street, a haunted cinema, and the fact that Manila City Hall, when seen from the air, looks like a casket, these weird rumors about a snake man or woman in the basement of Robinson's. And so the tale was kept alive into the 21st century. In 2018, 90s it girl Alice Dixon, who supposedly had escaped the beast's clutches, made a video about rediscovering how great shopping at Robinson's could be and also poking fun at the dressing room rumors. But in the 1990s, the tale was out in the greater Manila metropolitan area and even got picked up by a few news services abroad during the silly season. So, all of this then, the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, Supposedly buried lizard people cities underneath Los Angeles, woo-woo going mainstream, the TV show V, end times mania, alien abduction butt stuff, a secret society hidden beneath our own and lizard people in a shopping center in the Philippines. All this stuff is hanging around in the global consciousness when British sportscaster David Icke makes an abrupt career change and becomes the father of the modern reptilian conspiracy theory. Crawling Crawlin King, King Snake. Snake. That's a 1971 song by The Doors. David Icke was a poor English lad with promise as a footballer, but then developed rheumatoid arthritis and had to quit the game. 
He started writing about sport and soon found himself a sports commentator on Grandstand, the major British sports TV show at the time, which started in 1983, and then he went on to BBC Sport. David Icke was becoming a household name in the world of sport, talking about anything and everything from snooker to the 1988 Olympics. He even wrote a book about how to break into pro football. Ike was also into the ecology movement and tried a number of New Age remedies for the arthritis that continued to plague him. He became the Green Party national spokesman and wrote another book, this time about the environment, in 1989. Also in 1989, though, he started feeling like he was being watched, like everywhere he went, and it was stressing him out. While in a hotel room in March 1990, he demanded to the heir, who or whatever it was, make real contact with him or leave him alone. Four days later, he was walking past a newsagent's when an invisible force directed him inside and he heard a voice telling him to buy a number of specific book titles. One of those books was Mind to Mind by opera singer-turned-psychic quack Betty Shine. He contacted Betty, and she started advising him on possible solutions to his arthritis problem. But she was also a medium and had a message for Ike from Wang Ye Li, resident and guide of the spirit world. Lee told her to tell him that Ike had a mission to heal the earth and that Ike was the son of God. Spirit Guide Lee also made some predictions that Ike would write five books in three years, that by the year 2010 there would be individual flying machines that allowed people to go anywhere they wanted, and also by then, time itself would cease to have any real meaning. And also, all the oil being extracted from under the Earth's crust would cause tectonic destabilization and earthquakes would occur in places not normally known for them. Of course, today we know that none of this happened, except for the part that Ike had some control over because he did indeed write five books in three years on new agey topics like Love Can Heal the World, and he also wrote an autobiography. In February 1991, with the words of huckster Betty Shine, I mean spirit guide Wang Ye Lee rolling around in his mind, Ike went to Puno, Peru on the western shore of Lake Titicaca to check out a pre-Incan burial site when he found himself drawn to a particular circle of standing stones. As he entered the area, his body convulsed as if seared with an electrical current and ideas began to flood into his mind. He believed his kundalini had been activated, opening up his higher chakras and allowing him to access the limitless divine energy. Ike was now energized by the inexhaustible fountain of the universe and entered what he likes to call his turquoise period, meaning he only wore turquoise-colored clothing because this is a conduit for positive energy. He also started channeling spirits and beings and getting messages through automatic writing sessions. This is very old-school 19th century stuff. He returned to England and then held a press conference alongside his wife, announcing that he was, quote, son of the Godhead. Also, the world would end in 1997 due to a combination of hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico and in Derry, Northern Ireland of all places, as well as volcanic eruptions in Cuba and an earthquake on the Isle of Arran off the west coast of Scotland of all places. Sea levels would rise, wiping New Zealand off the map altogether and turning Los Angeles into an island. After the press conference, the famously mean-spirited British press all wanted to get a piece of Ike, and he was flooded, no pun intended, with interview requests. One such request was from Terry Wogan of the once-massive Wogan show, which desperately needed a ratings boost. 
Ike went on the show wearing a turquoise tracksuit, and while the audience started, you know, laughing. Logan asked Ike if he was the son of God. Ike replied that if Jesus showed up today, he would also be laughed at. Ike gave a lot of woo-woo talk about colors and frequencies, how Earth is super important in the cosmic design, and 12,000 years of evil energy bombarding our world from a being known as Lucifer, how Saddam Hussein was actually dead, and then he gave more details of his visions of doom, and again, the audience laughed. Ike said he was glad there was so much laughter because it's the best way to get rid of negative energy. However, Wogan felt compelled to clarify things. Quote, but they're laughing at you, he told Ike. They're not laughing with you. Now, Ike had a lifelong fear of being ridiculed. That is not the sort of thing a person like that wants to hear. Despite some people immediately jumping on the Ike bike, if you will, most seemed to be on the Wogan wagon. Terry Wogan and the BBC were both criticized by some commentators for allowing the interview to go ahead since Ike was clearly unwell. And what purpose did this, quote, media crucifixion serve, as The Guardian put it? But Ike sure seemed to be eating his own dog food and started churning out those books, as well as having a few other press conferences. He seemed to relish these chances to speak at length and fairly uninterrupted to crowds and crowds of people. And then more books came out. In 1984, he wrote The Robot's Rebellion, which talked about a secretive group controlling world events, very much as laid out in The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, though he refers to the bad guys as the Illuminati instead of Jews, but The Protocols are a famous anti-Semitic hoax document that has been pretty much discounted. However, some groups still believe it like American militia and white supremacist groups, and they also thought that maybe David Icke was talking to them in their own language. So they dug him. Other people said Icke clearly knew the anti-Semitic references and the protocols, and he himself was being anti-Semitic. He denied this entirely, but his next book, And the Truth Shall Set You Free, had a whole chapter on how Jews financed the Holocaust and that the education system and the film industry are trying to cover this up. Well, his publisher didn't like this at all and broke off relations with him. So Ike started his own publishing company called Bridge of Love Publications, which much later he would change to simply David Ike Books. After Robot's Rebellion came out, the Green Party ejected him entirely for being a fascist. Now, one possible identity of the evil Illuminati culprits could be, no, not Jews, said Ike, but aliens. He picked this up from Behold a Pale Horse by Milton William Cooper, the man who engendered a number of modern conspiracy theories and also kind of kicked off the American militia movement. I continued to speak and write, and yet none of his apocalyptic predictions came to pass. So he wrote The Biggest Secret, the book that will change the world in 1999. Here, he takes a bunch of different conspiracy notions and packages them together into a sort of mega conspiracy. It's like he set out to out Cooper Cooper. And boy, did he. Song of the Black Black Lizard. Lizard. That's a 1997 song by Pink Martini. You see, says Ike, many famous people from history, those who have helped guide and shape world events and thus the systems that we live in today, are not actually human. No, they are the Anunnaki. But the Anunnaki are not very tall human-like aliens residing on Nibiru, a hidden planet in our solar system, and who created the human race as slave labor thousands of years ago, but really aliens from the constellation Draco. 
They don't come from a planet around one of those stars, but from the fourth dimension entering our universe through an interdimensional rift in space-time located near the Alpha Draconis system in the Draco constellation. These reptilians, because they look like reptiles, have been here on Earth for a very long time, sometimes interbreeding with humans, sometimes just disguising themselves as humans, pulling the strings of history. Pretty much any royal dynastic house is actually reptilians, as are most Latter-day politicians. Also, strangely, singer-songwriter Chris Christopherson. And so it begins. By this time, 1999, Ike has something of a following, which just encourages him to go for broke, adding more and more details to his reptilian conspiracy. Ike would go on to expand his ideas, including the notion that reality as we perceive it is a hologram, and then there's some stuff about time as we experience it being a manufactured loop of some sort using microchips because reptilians are only truly corporeal when they invade our dimension and they need us to reproduce. And then when we talk of Satan, we're really talking about reptiles and Mormon genealogy. It actually is designed to trace reptilian bloodlines. And Atlantis was a pure human civilization and the source of the Aryans, who are the only true human beings that had advanced technology, including an energy being that protected our dimension from outsiders like the reptilians. And these Atlantean humans had a deep understanding of the god mind, but then the reptilians invaded anyway and destroyed the protective energy being, and while it's a very impressive and convoluted collection of ideas. Ike gives long lectures about it all for somewhere between $40 and $100 a ticket, and I mean long. Five, six, seven, eight hours long? I believe his longest one is clocked in at 11 hours. Ike's clearly taken a page out of Dr. Gene Scott, who was a hardcore TV evangelist who used to broadcast out of L.A. and go on for hours and hours and hours about whatever the heck popped into his head. Ike does pretty much the same thing, drawing links between things one would not normally think have anything to do with one another. Recycling, dolphins, popular entertainment, cheese making, the Anglo-Zulu War of 1879. <laughs> and yeah, some of the things that he talks about sure do sound kind of anti-Semitic. Well, anyway, it all goes into the blender and comes out as cash for David Icke. Oh yeah, and I forgot, the moon is also an artificial satellite. Alligator, Alligator Twist. 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 A 1993 song by Scottish beat band The Kaisers, very possibly a riff off the 1961 incredible guitar boogie instrumental Alligator Boogie by Rene and his Alligators, considered by many to be one of the finest guitar groups to ever come out of Holland. Let's get into the nitty gritty. The reptilians range from 5 to 12 feet tall, often have low blood pressure, Sometimes have green eyes, or hazel eyes, or blue eyes, or even eyes that change color. Basically, they have eyes, but humans with brown eyes are probably not reptiles. Often they have red hair, they have excellent vision and or hearing. Sometimes they have unexplained scars on their bodies. They can disrupt electrical appliances and devices simply by being around them, and they might have psychic abilities. In public, they talk a lot about the fate of mankind, often in a compassionate-seeming way, and they may have connections to UFO sightings. So you see, the reptilians, who are themselves beings from another dimension, can take over a true human body if that body has enough compatible DNA. When they first came here to our world, they began to insert 
bits of reptilian DNA into the human genome. And some humans have more reptilian in them and some do not. We know that this is all true because the oldest part of our brains is, in fact, a reptile brain. This is not because of how we evolved, but this is proof of the tampering with our DNA to prime us for reptilian takeover. When a reptilian decides to take over a human body that has enough reptilian DNA, they can also take over your mind. Now, sometimes the takeover is partial, sometimes it's complete. Now, this all harkens back to old tales of demonic possessions, succubi, and the like. In fact, human legends and myths are filled with references to this, quote, deep, dark truth. In Christian mythology, Eve was tempted by a serpent, resulting in human expulsion from the paradise of Eden, our innocent pre-reptilian days on the continent of Atlantis. There also may be several types of reptilians, not just the trans-dimensional ones that come through the space-time rift in Draco, but ones from Orion, some who live underneath Antarctica, some with wings, some with white scales, and it's possible that even the famous gray aliens themselves are reptilian hybrids from another planet that the reptilians invaded. Here on Earth, we have full-bloods who totally know that they're reptilians and can change their outward appearance at will. They don't physically change, by the way. They alter vibrations picked up by human rinds. That's how a 12-foot-tall reptilian can appear to be a 6-foot-tall human. They don't change their appearance. They just change the way that we perceive them. I mean, this is straight out of that movie, They Live. There are also crossbreeds or hybrids who first showed up on our planet about 4800 BCE and started civilization in the Fertile Crescent. These hybrids think that they're human, but they're actually being controlled from the fourth dimension to pursue the reptilian agenda. Reptilians drink blood, which is where vampire legends come from, and can alter the way that humans perceive their appearance to look fully human, which is where tales of werewolves and other shapeshifters come from. Later musings on their dietary habits had it that while any blood will do, they often go for cows, which is where the whole cattle mutilation phenomenon comes from. They find blood taken from a human to be especially nice. And when that human has been physically and psychologically tortured, it's ambrosia. Some of them also like to eat human brains. This is why so many people go missing every year. They are victims of the ravenous reptile elite. In the United States, an estimated 1,600 people go missing every single day. And of these, the vast majority are children, about 1,250. Go missing every day because the reptiles eat them. Then the reptilian theory collided with Pizzagate and the idea of a global elite of Satan worshippers who torture children to create fear and pain responses. Why? Well, you see, this causes changes in the adrenochrome in their bodies. This chemical is oxidized adrenaline, and political and Hollywood elites drink this energized androchrome, which must be extracted from a living body, to give themselves prolonged youth. So goes that conspiracy, and it's not too hard to connect the dots. A conspiracy theory that says elites torture children to drink their adrenochrome. Another one says that shape-shifting reptiles torture humans in order to drink their blood. And pretty soon you have that all elites are reptiles who torture children to drink their blood and adrenochrome. I mean, my God, how clear can it possibly be? 
This hybrid or crossbreed conspiracy theory has become a cornerstone of QAnon with some additional flourishes, like Donald Trump is combating them. Apparently, he's the only powerful human in all of recorded human history who is not a reptilian. Unlike, say, the Bush family, who have a long ancestry that includes many well-known people. In fact, many leaders are related in some way, shape, or form. George W. Bush and Barack Obama are actually 11th cousins. W. and Dick Cheney are 9th cousins. Vlad the Impaler, Pocahontas, Abraham Lincoln, Hugh Hefner, Marilyn Monroe, John Kerry, and Princess Diana are also all related to the Bush family. Therefore, goes the theory, they are all reptilians. All U.S. presidents have been related, and David Icke says 33 of them can trace their ancestry all the way back to Charlemagne. The Union of the Snake. That 1983 song was by Duran Duran. Tracing bloodlines is very important to the reptilians and also, therefore, to reptilian researchers. Ike says that one classic marker is people with RH or RH negative blood types. Babies born with one of these blood types sometimes turn blue right after birth, which is where the term blue bloods comes from, he says. But actually, he's wrong. RH blood sometimes results in an incompatibility between a fetus's blood type and that of the mother, which can cause circulation problems and other more severe issues. In truth, the term blue blood comes from Spain, where nobles near the city of Valencia were divided into three classifications, blue bloods, yellow bloods, and red bloods. And apparently this had something to do with their complexions and that medical notion of the time that four humors are prevalent inside the body. Stuart Swerdlow is one of the people who promotes the idea of the Council of Thirteen. Swerdlow rose to prominence in the conspiracy sphere by claiming to have been an experimental subject of the Montauk Project, talked about in a previous episode about that and the Philadelphia Experiment. He says he got clairvoyant powers and other psychic abilities thanks to his time at Montauk, though it was torture to go through it. Swerdlow says the Illuminati is comprised of 13 royal families. The leader of them all uses the title of Pindar, which is short for Pinnacle of the Draco, which is a code for Phallus of the Dragon. Interestingly, there's a winery near Montauk on Long Island called Pindar Vineyards, and wine is symbolically blood. Also, the Defense Crisis Management Center, the most important military citadel in the city of London, located deep under Whitehall, is codenamed the Pindar. This is closed to the public. This Pindar leader is always a pure-blood reptilian and is 12 feet tall and albino white. He likes to travel about in a white limousine, and all courts and police forces around the world have a secret term code white, which means do not bother this person no matter what they do. They are exempt from laws. Today, the Pindar is the head of the Rothschild family, Guy de Rothschild, who has been in charge for several centuries. Reptilians live a long time, I guess. He is sometimes referred to as the Marquis de Libo or King Noble. A few Illuminati watchers say that Guy de Rothschild was usurped by another big tall reptilian in the 90s and that this was maybe Hank Meyer, founder of the Meyer supermarket chain. But this is all still very much under discussion on forums. According to the astonishing Green Ink website, whale.to, Prince William of Britain is the Pindar's son. 
In the 1970s, the Pindar ran Project Malda in Strasbourg, France. This stands for Montauk Alsace-Lorraine Dimensional Activation. And Strasbourg was chosen because the current Pindar lives not far from Frankfurt am Main in Germany, and Strasbourg is an Alsace, a part of France that used to be part of Germany. Malda was a continuation of the Montauk project with the focus being to bring through other transdimensional beings, which we might term demons, to install into human bodies, specifically into the solar plexus. This has happened to a number of famous people like Al Pacino and Jennifer Lopez. The Council of 13 control everything important in our world today. Finance, banking, tech, military, religion, media, and so on. Why 13 families? Because 13 is an important number. There's actually a 13th constellation in the Zodiac, the constellation of Draco. But this fact is kept hidden from the masses. But apparently, Swordlow, because he's so clever, figured it out. Also, when the 12 different types of energy in the universe pass through the 10 aspects of the God mind, they combine into a new 13th energy, whatever the hell that all means. The 13 reptilian families all find pale human skin and pale hair attractive, partly because the Pindar is an albino, remember, and so they value that above other skin pigmentations. This is why there is racism. These 13 families, all of whom are shapeshifters, control an additional 300 families who are powerful but subordinate to the Council of 13. Some of these other families have high concentrations of reptile DNA, though few of them can actually change their appearance. However, some of them have no reptile at all and have been co-opted by the reptilians, bribed and rewarded with status, money, and power. This group of 300 subordinate families is known as the Committee of 300. Employed by the Reptilians, they have gone on to create or administrate various organizations, things like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderbergers, the Trilateral Commission, the Club of Rome, the United Nations, and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. Those six together are known as the Round Table. There's also the IMF, the Federal Reserve, the IRS, Interpol, and many, many others. They also run things like the CIA, the NSA, MI6, Mossad, and the Italian Mafia. In turn, these groups control most international corporations and all media, including all internet and social media companies. The whole thing is structured like a pyramid, which is how the society back in Draco is structured. This is also why the eye in the pyramid is a symbol of the Illuminati, says Swerdlow and others. The eye represents the gold capstone that once sat atop the Great Pyramid in Egypt, which was built by the reptilians and their slaves, which represents the Pindar. That's great, except that the Eye of Providence, as it's known, is in fact not an Illuminati symbol, but a symbol of the Freemasons. But hey, who cares, right? Don't ruin our good story with niggly facts. Besides, the Masons are also part of it all. So, no. Big Lizard in My Backyard. That's the 1985 debut album of Dead Milkmen. The Eye of Providence, made of 13 layers, is on the back of the Great Seal of the United States with the words Novus Ordo Seclorum underneath, which means New Order of the Ages or the New World Order. 
The front of the great seal has an eagle holding an olive branch in one talon and 13 arrows in the other. The United States started out as 13 colonies, with each colony under the control of one of the families of the Council of 13. From this, the 13 stripes in the U.S. flag come and the 13 arrows the eagle holds on the great seal. All countries, you see, are fictions. These are created by the reptiles to divide things up and make it easier to control us. This idea of different countries, uh, quote-unquote, also lets the ruling reptiles start wars whenever they want to in order to generate wealth and open up new markets. The United States is actually not a country but a joint stock company created in Great Britain in 1606 by King James I with the help of the Rothschilds and the Pindar called the Virginia Company of London. They just changed the name of the company to the United States of America, but it's otherwise essentially completely unchanged. And the assets of the Virginia Company are in truth today held by, drumroll please, the Vatican. But wait a second, Britain is Protestant, you may say. Yeah, they are now, but that's because of Henry, I like shopping for wives the eighth in the 1530s. Before that, there was only the one church. In 1209, you see, King John got into a pissing match with Pope Innocent III and got himself excommunicated for his trouble. In 1213, John and the Pope made nice, but part of the deal was that all English assets, though administered by the British royal family, would technically now be the property of the Pope. Incidentally, the Pope is always a reptilian. So, those assets include the Virginia Company of London, today known under the title of the United States of America. So the U.S. is really a private company owned by the Vatican, managed by the U.K. royals, pretending to be a country. And interestingly, it's all there in the name. No, America doesn't come from the Italian cartographer Amerigo Vespucci. Am is the Hebrew word for people or nation. Eri is Hebrew for lion, Rika is the Spanish word for rich, feminized, and Ka is an ancient Egyptian word for the life force. So Am Erika is an Illuminati slash reptilian word meaning the people of the lion which has great spirit force. Also, is it any coincidence that Adam Weishaupt founded a group called the Illuminati in Bavaria, Germany in 1776, the same year that the 13 American colonies declared so-called independence but really just changed the corporation's name? The answer is obviously not. Incidentally, you may think that that's George Washington on the American $1 bill, but it isn't. It's actually Adam Weishaupt. And on and on and on Swerdlow goes, tracing bits and pieces of Western history and supposed conflicts between the 13 families to fit this narrative. It's all in his 2002 book, Blue Blood, True Blood, Conflict and Creation, for those who care to dive into this further. I just know that I don't. Long, Long Snake, snake Moan. Moan. That's an awesome 1995 song by P.J. Harvey. So all of this is what conspiracists mean when they say things like, if people only knew what's really going on. It's a rich narrative vein that, frankly, we've just scratched the surface of here. For example, there's a whole track of reptilian 
reptilianism that says back in their home dimension, it's the female queens who actually run the show. The male reptilians can use magnetism, you see, to control the fabric of reality in their dimension, an ability that becomes enhanced by sexual activity. So the queens control the males and their reality morphing capabilities using pheromones, turning them into sex slaves. However, sex among reptilians is quite brutish. I imagine lots of teeth, maybe some barbs, and the males suffer even as they willingly give themselves over to the abuse. However, some males figured out a way to open a gateway into our dimension, and they targeted Earth specifically because our planet holds a special place in the structure and fabric of our cosmos. And the humans who had naturally evolved there were on track to actualize the God mind for all races in the galaxy and beyond. So some of these male reptilians escaped to our world, usurping the humans, wiping out our home continent of Atlantis, and creating their own civilization, and, because they are really a cruel race, started turning this veritable Eden into a charnel house of horror. And they also denigrate females, sort of a payback as to how females treated them in their home dimension. That's why they're sexism. All of this is encoded in the biblical story of the fall of Adam and Eve. Eve, I guess, was the first human to allow reptilian possession. This sub-sub conspiracy theory is sometimes known as the Queens of Orion theory. And there's a lot more on this, and reading all this stuff will certainly give you a headache as you try to parse sentences like, quote, only the pine cone spin path to the zero point back into the memory fractal could keep your collective dream whole instead of fractioning into separateness. Now, I need a drink. Fattening, Fattening frogs, frogs for frogs snakes. snakes. A 1959 song by Sonny Boy Williamson I. How will you know if one of these transdimensional lizards is trying to take over your body either for themselves or to implant a different transdimensional demon into your solar plexus, rendering you a compliant meat robot? First, they target smart, good-looking, charismatic people who are talented in the arts or tech, have access to money, and are quite ambitious. So that leaves most of us off the hook. Often their targets have had a history of drug use and or paranormal events in their lives and maybe a history of back problems. In the early stages of a takeover, you'll have mood swings that become more extreme. You'll probably try to deal with this through alcohol or drugs, but this just makes matters worse, weakening you. Personal relationships will degrade, the body begins to suffer, and a number of compulsive behaviors will emerge from biting one's nails, self-mutilation, and cosmetic surgery. Mental illness may arise. Some psychically sensitive types around the targeted person may see entities near the victim. If this happens, those people should help the person afflicted, for there is still time to ward off the attack. The more resistance, the more debilitating the symptoms. Really nasty things like cancer might even develop. All of this sounds eerily like the TI or targeted individual phenomenon talked about in a previous episode, which is usually the onset of schizophrenia. Or it's an attack by transdimensional reptilians who want to take over your body. The only defense is to strengthen your soul by adhering to a spiritual belief. Now, it doesn't really matter which one since they're all reflections of the universal God mind, but Christianity is the best one. This is because its central message is love, and love is something reptilians do not understand, and so are powerless against. Also, take care of your body, and don't do drugs, kids. 
If you haven't fended off the attack, there will come a point of no return. The reptilian being then enters the human body and takes it over. The human mind is essentially switched off and the reptilian is in control. To outsiders, the person will now begin acting in an aggressive and ruthless fashion, hell-bent on achieving whatever their aims are. They seem to be filled with energy even while their body continues to suffer. They become psychic vampires feeding off those around them. Almost no one who has entered this stage of things has ever recovered. Once the transfer is complete, the reptilian is now driving the bus. All illnesses disappear. This, quote, person becomes almost obsessed with keeping their body in good shape, becoming very, very body focused. They will exercise, take lots of vitamins, and often become vegetarians. They continue to feed off the energy of humans around them and actively participate in their part of the overall reptilian agenda. They can alter human minds so that they appear totally human and even exert some mind control. They will most likely also become sexual deviants and seem to completely lack empathy and the emotion of love. And they enjoy cruelty. After many years as basically what we would term a psychopath, the reptilian becomes a sort of a mentor for newly arrived brothers. The good news is that because Earth is so special in our galaxy, other races, what we would call aliens, are trying to help us. Not for our own sake, most of them really just don't care one way or another about the human race, but for our planet. And we are part of the planet's ecosystem and so therefore are important. But some alien races seek to ally themselves with the reptilians, at least temporarily, in pursuit of their own aims. And sometimes these aliens who want to help and aliens who want to side with the reptilians battle each other. Things have been recently heading up in the skies of our planet, thus the increase in UFO slash UAP sightings. Snake, Snake Song, song. A 1978 song by Towns Van Zandt, covered by Emmylou Harris in 2007, and remixed by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis in 2012 for the film Lawless. Yeah, what a complex narrative, and yeah, there's a lot more. Like, a lot more. Since writing The Biggest Secret in 1999, David Icke has written 14 more books and made at least a few million dollars doing so. And that's not taking into account his videos and often sold-out lectures with audiences of over 2,000 people. A survey from a few years ago found that 7% of the general American public absolutely believed in some form of the reptilian conspiracy or another, and an additional 7% were unsure. That's more than 46 million people taken together. A more recent peek into the American collective psyche seems to indicate that the number of 100% true adherents has risen from 7% to 12% since 2016 and Donald Trump, which would put the number of possible believers closer to 63 million, and that's just in the U.S. The reptilian conspiracy has infected people in every country on Earth. And no, it isn't all harmless. A lot of people are getting exposed to this through QAnon, and some of those people are not terribly stable. Just before 1.30 in the morning on December 25th, 2020, Christmas Day, 63-year-old Nashville resident Anthony Warner parked a Thor motor coach Chateau RV outside an AT&T facility in downtown Nashville. Four to four and a half hours later, 
people heard sounds of gunfire nearby and then a computerized female voice coming from a loudspeaker telling people to stay clear of the vehicle and to evacuate the buildings around it. The voice then said there was a bomb in the RV and a 15-minute countdown started. The speaker then started playing the 1964 Petula Clark song, Downtown. Police officers and the bomb squad showed up to this weird scene and started preparing and getting people the heck out of there. Then, at 6.30, the RV exploded, throwing debris as far as three blocks. Eight people were injured, but fortunately, the only death was Warner's. Apparently, he had been sitting in the vehicle when it exploded. Three cars were burned, 60 buildings in the area were damaged, and a building across the street actually collapsed. The bomb also damaged the AT&T facility, and Central Tennessee suffered telephone outages as well as cuts to internet service and damage to the Memphis Air Traffic Control Center and 911 and other emergency services. 400 people were displaced as a result of the attack, and more than 1,000 people lost their jobs since 41 businesses were damaged in the blast, and many of them had already suffered from COVID lockdown, and so this was kind of it for them, and they had to close their doors permanently. Warner had apparently spent a good deal of his time looking for aliens in a park near his home and sending out packages to various people around the country with his views on September 11th, a hoax, the moon landing, another hoax, a fairly new conspiracy theory that said aliens had landed in spaceships in America in 2011 and begun attacking people, but this was being covered up by the media, and the reptilian conspiracy theory, which he had discovered through QAnon sources he'd found after becoming an ardent Trump MAGA supporter. A while before Christmas Day 2020, Warner had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and apparently had a grudge of some sort against AT&T, for whom he used to work. So... Was his belief in lizard people why he blew up that Nashville street? News articles would like to suggest that this connection makes it so. But the fact is, A, he had cancer. B, he told his girlfriend, yes, he had a girlfriend, that, quote, Nashville and the world would never forget me. And so I think maybe not. But the following year, belief in the reptilian conspiracy did directly lead to two deaths. In 2021, 40-year-old Santa Barbara, California resident Matthew Coleman, who ran an evangelical Christian surfing school, became, as federal authorities later put it, quote, enlightened by QAnon and Illuminati conspiracy theories, as well as reptilian theories promoted by David Icke, who Coleman referred to as that British guy with the white hair. Coleman said he had been, quote, receiving visions and signs revealing that his wife possessed serpent DNA and had passed it on to the children. He said she was probably, quote, a shapeshifter and that the children would grow up to become, quote, monsters. So he took two-year-old Calio and 10-month-old Roxy to Baja in Mexico, checked into a motel, and then shot them both in the chest with a spear gun. He said that, as much as he hated to do this, it was the only way to, quote, save the world. Both Coleman and his wife had fallen down the QAnon and reptilian rabbit holes. In fact, there's been a recent radicalization of evangelical Christians who firmly believe in signs and wonders and to see potential end times and everything in both of these mega conspiracies. Some people who examine conspiracy thinking say that, in fact, QAnon is really just a slightly more complicated, gamified version of the reptilian conspiracy theory. It's not just everyday Americans who fall under the sway of the hypnotic power of the lizard people trope. 
After all, it explains so much. Why there's racism and misogyny? Why there's evil? Why our history seems to be just one conflict after another? Far-right MP and founder of the Dutch Forum for Democracy political party, Terry Bowden, went on the Geopolitics and Empire podcast on October 17, 2022. During the interview, he added to his already impressive conspiracy grab bag, which included great replacement racist stuff, notions that IQ scores are linked to ethnicity, that 9-11 was a false flag, that COVID-19 was a hoax, and anti-Ukraine propaganda, as well as how much he dislikes modern architecture and music. After all that, he said on the podcast that the world is, quote, being governed by evil reptiles. Was he being metaphorical or was he serious? Well, it turns out he was serious. He also said that Vladimir Putin, quote, is the hero we need, perhaps suggesting that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is targeting the reptilians. So Vladimir Putin would also be one of the only powerful humans to not be a reptilian. After saying this and also refusing to disclose his income records, he was banned by parliament from speaking for eight days. David Icke, who was scheduled to give one of his exhausting or exhaustive, depending on how you look at it, lectures in Amsterdam on November 6th. This one was going to be about how 5G causes COVID and is being spread by Jewish groups who are really reptilians. But no, no, he's not anti-Semitic. Anyway, the Dutch government banned Ike from their country for two years, and this ban extends to the 25 other Schengen countries in Europe as well. So now I can add these to the growing list of places that don't want him, including Australia and YouTube, though he's back there under the handle Ikeonic. And for a while, he was banned from Twitter, though Musk seems to have let him back on there by now. So, the reptilian conspiracy is really the reptilian conspiracies, as there are lots of flavors to choose from, a veritable Baskin-Robbins of paranoia. The whole suite of zaniness is a testament to the power of narrative to infect and even take over human minds. But sometimes that infection spreads and the infected takes action, injuring or even killing others. Like the advice to those who think a mean-spirited, horny, interdimensional Sauropsid is trying to gain control of their body, the only solution here is to have a narrative that counteracts the allure of this one, which seems to have so many answers. So, to be on the safe side, why not make your narrative the one where verifiable facts matter more than wild imaginings and speculations? Try that one on for size and see if that inoculates you against the crazy. I'll bet you five bucks it does. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>